0: read verses 1 through 7, and how Abraham has journeyed down to Gerar, which my understanding is that, that is in the land of Israel, but is toward Egypt, and what we, what is commonly called today over there, the Gaza Strip, it's kind of, a, it a, used to be the Philistine territory, when Abraham was there. And while he's there, he falls back into that old recourse of passing Sarah off as his sister because, he says, chapter 20, verse 11, I did it because I thought, verse 11, I thought there's no fear of God here and they will kill me. Because of my wife. Let me begin uh, with some thoughts about marriage as taught in the very beginning in Genesis 2. It says that when he created the heavens and the earth, he then put Adam into a deep sleep and from his side he made a woman and Genesis 2.22 says the Lord God Brought her to the man. So here's one thought that we should nail down, and that is that marriage is sacred, it is of divine origin. He, God, brought her to the man. Marriage is God's idea. Amen. It is unique in both its design and order. It is, in a a word, a miracle. Matthew 19, 6, Jesus, they said to Jesus, uh, can you divorce your wife for any reason? And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. God puts you together In in the covenant ceremony there is a miracle that takes place in the marriage ceremony and in the life that follows so marriage is sacred marriage is of divine origin and marriage is a picture it was designed to be a picture of Christ and his church. Now listen to, uh, let me read Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave or hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He shall leave father and mother. Now listen to what Paul says quoting that verse. He's quoting Genesis 2.24. He quotes it, Paul does in Ephesians 5 31. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, see, so he's quoting Genesis 2, and cleave or be joined to his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Now, notice verse 32. This is a great mystery. You're, you're never going to figure out or or be exact and precise in how you understand marriage. I've been married many years, and I don't, do not understand women. I don't pretend to. I'm not an expert on either marriage or women. Paul says this is a great mystery, mega mystery is the Greek then he says but I speak concerning Christ and the church see he's just quoted Genesis 2 a man should leave father and mother and be joined to his wife but I speak concerning Christ and the church so, so here's what you would take from that uh As God designed the man first and put him into a deep sleep and out of his side he brought the woman. So Christ died on the cross and the spear pierced his side and out of the flowing, cleansing blood of Christ is produced the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, just as it says, a man shall leave father and mother, the man, as Christ did, takes the initiative in joining her to himself. He is the leader, spiritually. Upon, and I've thought about this, but I think that upon the man's shoulders lies the spiritual life of the home. It is his responsibility to keep the marriage together. A man shall leave father and mother, note the initiative, note the Christ likeness, he leaves home to pursue her and he cleaves to his wife See, that's him. And he goes into the deep sleep just as Christ went into the grave and into death. So, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. He gave himself for it. Uh, uh, headship, it, we talk about man being the head of the home. Yeah, but his headship is for service. His headship, his authority, is for her, not against her. Now, notice Genesis 20. And the, uh, the failure of Abraham is right here at the heart of the gospel. Uh, Genesis 20, verse 10, Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? What were you thinking? And Abraham says, uh, verse 11, I did it because there's no fear of God here, and I thought, they will kill me because of her. Now notice, what's the gospel? Jesus died that we may live. What was Abraham's stance? I get to live. Take her. It's the opposite. You see what he did. It's totally unlike Christ. There is something in the DNA of a man that says, Take me, not her. I will step up. Uh, Some years ago, I I think we were talking about what if somebody uh, breaks into our house and I was talking to Jan. So I just asked her a question. I said, uh, uh, do you think I would take a bullet for you? And she said, I don't know. I was like, what? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That kind of hurt my feelings, cause it's in a man to sacrifice himself for his bride. Well, after she said, "I don't know," so cavalierly I thought, "Well, I'm not going to now." <laughs> you take your own bullet. But that is, part of the, that is part of the masculine trait. Now the world would call that toxic masculinity. I call it redemptive masculinity as typified and pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his bride, the church. But there's other things to consider here uh, as we... <laughs> and I, I know I'm castigating Abraham... Um, but consider also that Abraham has been walking with God now for 25 years. Abraham, according to chapter 17, verse 1, is 99. In chapter 12, when he first comes to Canaan, he's 75. So in, here in chapter 20, he's got to be at least 99, maybe 100. So he's, he's been walking with God and obeying God, except for the occasional slip-up. He's been obeying God for 25 years. And here he is uh, becoming unfaithful at this age. The hymn writer wrote, Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, take my heart. Take it, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And that is to be our prayer. Because there is no stage of life at which we do not need Jesus, the living God, just as we need air to breathe or food to eat. There is no stage of life at which you can ever unplug from the necessity of Christ on a daily basis. here's something else to consider Sarah is evidently pregnant with Isaac in in chapter 18 you remember God comes to Abraham and Sarah chapter 18 verse 9 or verse 10 and said the Lord said I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son well, that's chapter 18. Then you have chapter 19, and here you have chapter 20, and Abraham is journeyed. So it's got to, she's got to be about three to six months along. A son was Abraham's greatest dream, and he was jeopardizing it. To save his life out of fear. And then, one other thing I think that is significant is that when Isaac is born, in the next chapter, chapter 21, he grows up, marries this beautiful young lady named Rebecca. And if you want to look with me at this verse, in uh, chapter Genesis 26, verse 6, Isaac has grown up, chapter 26, verse 6, and Isaac settled in Gerar. Oh, that's where Abraham was in chapter 20, What we're reading about. The land of the Philistines. He settles in Gerar. And the men asked him about his wife, and he said, she's my sister. What? She's my sister, for he feared, saying, lest the men of the place should kill me. So, you know what? While he's down there in Gerar, the story gets around. Oh, did you hear about Abraham? You know, the prophet. Well... He came down here and tried to pass his wife off as his sister because he's afraid somebody killing for her. Really? So there's this gossip. There's this story. Somebody told Isaac when he was growing up about this failure, and your kids are going to find out about your failures, you know? I hope we don't have our kids find out everything. But evidently, Isaac said, it worked for my father. I'll re- resort to the same subterfuge in order to save my life. So I wrote this down. Sons often treat their wives the same way their father treated their mother. you got to think about it fathers you are training your sons for their wives by the way you treat the mother all right that's enough on abraham bless his heart somebody said yesterday i said what are you preaching on and i said uh, uh, i said abraham's second fall and, the, and they said He failed twice? Only twice? (laughs) I go, amen. So that's kind of the way we, we might want to look at this, is we're no better than him. So here's some final observations. Number one, our greatest opposition often comes from our own sinful self. Our biggest problems, our greatest enemy... It's not the world or even the devil, but the flesh. That which is within us, that corrupt nature which which follows us, stays with us even as a Christian. It makes us fall back into those old patterns of behavior that we became comfortable with over the years and that do not honor God or benefit others. Our greatest difficulty and struggle is with ourselves, our fallen selves. Number two, age is not an antidote to sin. No matter what age you are, you are susceptible to failure and unbelief and selfishness at the expense of your own family. Let us guard our hearts Moses lost his temper when he was old and was excluded from the promised land. David was past midlife when he had an affair with Bathsheba. Solomon, the wisest man of his day, but listen to 1 Kings 11 verse 4. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord when he was old there's something that is about getting old we've been there, we've heard that we've experienced that I already know that I've read that and we get dull God needs to revive us so that we, as Jesus said, become like little children. We want children to grow up and be spiritual adults before they come to Christ. But Jesus said, you who are adults, you need to go down and be like a little child. So excited, so humble, so teachable. Oh, God, give us that humble, Christ-like, child-like heart, even into our old age. Amen? That's what we need. And I am impressed, and here's a third observation, I am impressed with the God of Abraham. I, I came away from this story thinking, wow, not wow because of Abraham, or Even Sarah, she seems complicit. But why? Because of the God of Abraham. I mean, look in chapter 20, in verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, You are a dead man because of the woman you've taken. She is another man's wife. God revealed himself to this pagan king to keep her from touching, keep him from touching Sarah. At our worst, God is often at his best. In our greatest sin, his grace is revealed as greater still. So he says, Don't touch her, restore her to her husband or I will kill you, and everyone in your house. And so, verse 8, Abimelech rose early the next morning. I'm guessing 3 (laughs) a.m. Let's get this over. Let's get this done. I'm not taking any chances. I'm impressed because God intervened to protect Sarah, to protect the baby. He even protected Abimelech. By coming to him ahead of time and warning him in a dream. And by keeping him from touching her. He even protected this pagan king. And he certainly protected Abraham. Look at verse 7. He says to Abimelech, the pagan king, he says, Return this man's wife because he's a prophet and he will pray for you. Now, I would have thought maybe God would say, "Uh, Abraham, let's take some time off from you being my representative. I know you've been a prophet, but let's put you on the shelf for a little while and and let's just leave you there and I'll check on you in a few years. He is a prophet, not he was a prophet. And further, he's going to pray for you and you will live. That's kind of shocking. And I thought of that verse in Romans 11. The gifts, Romans 11, 29. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Has God put his call on you? And then your faith collapsed? His call remains. Listen to the way that the message puts Romans 11, 29. he says for God's gifts and God's call on your life is under a full warranty it's never cancelled never rescinded <laughs> if failure cancelled your calling I would never have made it out of college seminary it, I my calling would have been canceled many times over many years. I come away from this thinking, God is serious about choosing you, keeping you, protecting you, saving you, helping you, being committed to you. And I'll tell you something, folks. Over your lifetime, you will find that many friends... You have many friends, even husbands and wives, close relatives, and they will abandon you, they will betray you, they will gossip about you, turn against you, be unfaithful and fickle toward you, but the God of heaven will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one who deserves your full trust and all your heart. Psalm 145, verse 14. The Lord upholds all that fall and raises up those that are bowed down. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and what an impression this God makes on my life this morning. One more thing. Why this story? Well, um, I think for one reason... It's because that there is a seed. Remember back in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And I think the descendants of uh, Eve, that there is a line, and it goes through uh, Seth, and it goes through Noah, and it goes through his son Shem, and then it goes through Abraham, descendant of Shem, then it goes through Isaac, not, uh, not Ishmael, then it goes through Jacob, not Esau. There is a line that is based on sovereign election from God, and it goes through Judah, not the other tribes, and it goes through David, not his other brothers, and it goes through Solomon, not his other children, until it erupts in the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. The seed of the woman has come to crush the serpent's head. Isaac is in that line. And God, in a sweeping moment here, preserves the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. I mean, I think that's part of it. Then I think God just loves Abraham and wants to save him. Someone said, and I I don't remember who it was, but I remember the quote. The Christian life is but a series of new beginnings. Just one new beginning after another. Today, begin anew. If God can rescue Abraham like this, he's got a future for you. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And here we are today, first day of the week, in church, hearing the word of God, the word of hope, word of promise. Today is a new beginning in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And God give you a new beginning. Ushers, let's, let's worship with our giving today and bow with me as we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great grace and great love that you have shown to us especially through Jesus Christ. Um, we pray for new beginnings for many of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.